Good morning, Door of Hope. Thanks, Ben, for that great message. <laughs> hey, uh, before we get into it, will you, will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your presence in this place this morning. Also, in uh, wherever people are participating online, Lord, we know you are here with us. Lord, would you speak to us through your word this morning? Would you encourage each of us, challenge each of us? And may we have a heart uh, that is ready to learn from you. Pray in your name. Amen. Well, we are in this series called Values, and we are looking at our six key values as a church, as a Door of Hope community. And uh, this morning, I get to uh, bring a message about growing. And, uh, but before we do, I just thought it would be really good if we could just read that, um, that paragraph again about growing. It says this, We choose to actively follow Jesus, committed to continual growth, dependent on the Holy Spirit to be disciple-makers, and we live as an expression of what we believe, that God uniquely created each of us to be in relationship with him, a, relation, a reflection of Jesus. Well, at the moment, when I think of growth, I can't help but think of landscaping. Uh, Chantelle and I are at the end of a 12-month massive landscaping project. Our house is on a big hill, and our backyard is very tricky to kind of deal with, and so it's involved diggers and um, all sorts of work, and uh, we've learnt a lot along the way. We've learnt um, about gardening. I've, I've learnt heaps. I've learnt about how to prepare the ground. I've learnt how to plant a plant. That's uh, the basics, I know. <laughs> I know. I've learnt how to grow a plant. I've learnt how to kill a plant. I've learned how to kill another plant or two or three. <laughs> I've learned how to grow weeds. Yeah. I've learned how to kill weeds. Um, and I've learned how much work it actually takes yeah. and how much money it can actually cost. <laughs> um, but one of the biggest things I've learned in the last kind of 12 months or so through this project is that gardening isn't just a set and forget thing, which is terribly unfortunate. Because one of my favourite things to do in life is to just set and forget things. <laughs> you, are, you ask anyone who knows me and they will know how fond I am of automation and uh, things working on their own <laughs> without me having to do anything. Well, unfortunately, gardening, I've discovered, isn't a set and forget kind of thing. In order to have the backyard that we desire has required a significant investment. An investment of work, of energy, of sweat, of time, uh, of money. And not only that, but in order, to have, in order to keep the backyard that we desire, we'll require an ongoing investment of these things. And so when I think of growth, I think of gardening. But when we think of spiritual growth, you know, the Bible thinks of gardening too. <laughs> The, the Bible uses so many um, pictures of gardening 
to describe growth. And here's just a few of them. Psalm chapter 1, verse 3 says, People who delight in God's word are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in their season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. That's a cool picture, isn't it? Or this one in Jeremiah chapter 17. It says, Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. What about this one in Psalm 92? It says, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. In old age, they still produce fruit. They are always green and full of sap. Wouldn't that be a great thing to be able to describe ourselves one day? To be old of age but still producing fruit. And can I just say, you know, we have so many people in our congregation, in our Door of Hope community, who match this, don't we? Who are in their later years of life, perhaps, but are still producing fruit. And if that's you here this morning or participating online, we're just so grateful for you. We love you. We're cheering you on. And uh, we are inspired by you. And Jesus talks about gardening as well, of course, in John Chapter 15, he says, Abide in me, live in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide or live in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away, like a branch and withers, such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for it, whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And here's the kicker. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. Nectarines. Now, just... Do you say nectarines or nectrins? My nan used to say nectrins. I always thought that's kind of weird, but maybe it's like an old school Tasmanian kind of thing. If, if you're online, New South Wales is it? There you go. If you're online, I want you to chat, type in the chat, what is the correct way to pronounce this fruit? Is it nectarines or nectrins? You tell me, I'll check online later. But there's consensus in the room here is nectarine, so we'll go with that. We have a nectarine tree over our back fence, and um, actually it's, it kind of hangs over our back fence. It's not in our yard. If it was in our yard, I would have had it removed by the bobcat about 12 months ago, um, because let's just say it's confused. It, it's quite confused. You see, it, it produces a fair bit of fruit, but the fruit is like rock hard, rock hard, rock hard, rotten on the ground. Like, I just want to run down to it and shake it and say, dude, pick a lane. <laughs> like, if you're going to bear fruit, make it edible or useful or something, or else don't bear fruit at all. But this thing, it is worse than an avocado. You know how temperamental avocados are, you know? They're like, 
unripe, unripe, ripe, gone. Like, you've got to get it right in the zone, right? Well, these nectarine trees, like, this is just hopeless. And I'm sure I could get some fancy tree psychologist or someone to come in and, like, talk this tree around into making some good fruit again. Um, but to be honest, it's not my tree. <laughs> and I just can't be bothered. And I, I'd just as much rather it get ripped out of the ground and is just no longer our problem, right? But this is what can happen when you set and forget the growth of the tree. Like, it, it can just turn up with dodgy nectarines. And this is what can happen when we set and forget our spiritual growth as well. You see, when we set and forget our spiritual growth, it can keep us alive, but it won't give us good fruit. It can keep us alive, but we'll end up with dodgy nectarines. <laughs> what does set and forget spiritual growth kind of look like? Well, one example could be just relying on a 75-minute church service once a week or once a fortnight or once a month for your spiritual growth. That, to me, would be set and forget spiritual growth. Again, it would keep you alive, but you'd end up with dodgy nectarines. Is this really what Jesus meant when he said, abide in me as I abide in you? Is this really what Jesus meant when he said, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples? Perhaps today we can have an honest look at our nectarines. How are they going? What did Jesus mean then? What did Jesus mean when he said, I want you to bear much fruit and become my disciple. Well, as I was preparing this week, I was thinking, well, there's only one way to know what he meant, and that was to know what he meant by the word disciple. Now, many of us know what the word disciple means. Uh, in the Greek, it's methesis. If you want to, um, again, everyone say methesis. Online. I know you can't really say it, so why don't you type it? And I'm interested to know how you spell that. So I'm not going to put it on the screen because that would be cheating. Those of you online, type in the chat. Let's see if anyone gets it right. Methesis. But methesis simply means a learner or a pupil, a student, a disciple. That, now, that wouldn't be a surprise to most of us. That makes sense. But you see, maybe we have to look beyond the literal definition and look at the practical definition. What did it actually mean to the people around him when Jesus said, I want you to become my disciple? You see, Jewish kids, if you were a Jewish kid in the, in the time of Jesus, boy or girl, you would start primary school called Bet Sefer at about the age of six or so, through to the age of 11 or 12 or so. And, and in that period, you would memorize the Torah, the Torah being the first five books of the Old Testament that we know now, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy memorized by the age of 11. Now, is, does that blow your mind or what? That's amazing to me. I mean, I struggle to read some of those books, just read it off the page. But if I was to bump into a 10 or 11-year-old and they could just reel it off the top of their head, that is impressive, yeah? But you see, they would learn 
reading and writing. They would learn about God. They would learn about uh, what it was like to live a, a, as a, a good Jewish lifestyle. They would learn about their culture, their history. They would learn just about everything they needed to know by simply memorizing the Torah. And at the age of about 11 or 12, when they finished Bet Sefer, the girls uh, would uh, finish their formal education and they would um, prepare for marriage because that was just the culture at the time. And the boys would have one of two pathways. If they were the best of the best students, they would continue their education. But for everyone else, they would be told, go home and learn your father's trade, your family business, and prepare for work, because that is going to be your life from now on. And so at the age of 11 or 12 or so, uh, the boys would uh, head and start learning to work. The best of the best of the class, though, would continue their education. And, and from about the ages of 11 or 12 or so to about 14 or 15, they would participate in Bet Talmud. And this was like a middle school held at the synagogue with a rabbi. And during this period, they would learn a bit with like a question and answer style learning where they would talk about God's law and they would talk about the Torah and they would answer questions with other questions and they would, they would learn in this way. Uh, and by the way, they would also learn the rest of the Hebrew scriptures as well <laughs> along, along the way. But this might be starting to tweak a few little memories for you. Because if you know the story of Jesus as a child, what was he doing at the age of about 12? In Luke chapter 2, we find him sitting among the teachers, the rabbis, listening to them and what? Asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his what? His answers. You see, for a 12-year-old, this was a part of their education, question and answers, talking with their rabbis. Now, the amazing thing about this is that the rabbis, the teachers, were amazed at Jesus' understanding of the law and the Torah. Now, when you got to the end of Bet Talmud, at the age of 14 or 15 or so, once again, you had a couple of ways you could go. You see, you would seek out a well-known rabbi, someone that you really, really uh, respected, someone that you agreed with their kind of um, ideas and wanted to learn from or wanted to be like, and you would approach them and you would say, I want to be your disciple. And look, if you didn't quite cut the mustard, if you weren't quite good enough, you didn't, didn't really have what it took, they would say, you should probably go home and learn your father's trade and, and become a worker. That's probably best for you. And so they would. they would. They would go home, they would learn the trade, they would start to work. But the best of the best students, the cream of the crop, the absolute duxes of the schools, to them, the rabbi would say, come, follow me. Come, follow me. And then... For the rest of this time, called Bet Midrash, up until about the age of 19 or so, when they were finally finished their education, they would hang around their rabbi like a bad smell. Like, they would just follow him around and try and learn everything they could. 
You see, the rabbis would have their unique way of interpreting God's law, their unique perspectives on what it meant to live out God's law in this world, and that was called their yoke. And so these young disciples would be spending this time taking upon their rabbi's yoke and trying to do everything they could to reflect their rabbi. Now, again, this word yoke might trigger a few memories. I can, I can hear them now, those little ideas popping up all around the place. <laughs> because Jesus talked about his yoke, didn't he? Rabbi Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, he said, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, my way of interpreting God's law upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So we get a picture of Rabbi Jesus, the the, the rabbi with an easy yoke to carry. But this wasn't the only thing that actually made Jesus unique as a rabbi. You see, while nearly every other rabbi that is recorded would have the disciples come to them and and only choose the best of the best, We know from the stories in the Gospels that Jesus went to them, didn't he? And who did he go to? He went to Peter and Andrew and James and John. And and who were these people? These people were fishermen. Why were they fishermen? Because at some point they had been told, you aren't good enough. You don't cut the mustard. You don't have what it takes. So go and learn your family business. And so this rabbi, Jesus, comes into town and looks them right in the eye and says, Come, follow me. I believe in you. You have what it takes. You are good enough for me. Amazing, isn't it? And, and by the end of Jesus' ministry, we discover that he had a licorice all sorts of disciples. <laughs> Men and women and children and wealthy and poor and healthy and sick and just about everyone you can imagine because they all had one thing in common. They were committed to following around their rabbi to learning from their rabbi, to become more like their rabbi, to take upon his yoke, his way of interpreting the scriptures, which was what? Love God and love your neighbor. That's pretty easy. That's a pretty easy yoke. And they were committed, devoting their lives to reflecting their rabbi. You know what? Jesus had another request for his disciples as well. Fruit. Nectarines. (laughs) You see, he knew that it's not good for us to be all about the input and not about the output. It's too easy for us to be all about the inhale and not about the exhale. 
Jesus knew there's such a thing as spiritual constipation. Where we receive, we receive, we receive. We go to church, we read our Bible, we do everything we receive, but we don't send anything out. (laughs) And it's not good for us. It's not good for us. What did he ask us to do? Well, of course, just before he left this earth, he told all of his disciples, those who were right there at the time and all those who would ever come after. He gave them one instruction. He said, go into all the world and make what? Disciples. Make more disciples of all nations, of all people groups, of all, of all subcultures, of all different types of groups of people and teach them. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Holy Spirit, and Son, and, and, and teach them everything that I've commanded. Be their rabbi. He said, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Here's the thing. It's one thing to be a branch on the vine. It's quite another to be a fruitful branch on the vine. And our Rabbi Jesus calls each of us to what? To make more disciples. As we become more like him, we are asked to help others become more like him. As we reflect who he is, we are asked to help others reflect who he is. So how's your fruit? This is not a set and forget kind of attitude to spiritual growth. It will require an ongoing investment of time, of energy, of love, of emotional energy. It requires the giving, being generous. It requires a selflessness. How is your fruit looking? How are your nectarines? <laughs> what is it that you need to invest? What is it that you need to dial up today in order to make that, health, that fruit healthy again? Do you need to spend just more time with your rabbi? <laughs> has, it, has it been just too long? since you've connected? Do you need to converse with your rabbi more often in prayer? Do you need to really dig deep into the scriptures and learn more about him and what he breathed in and out? Do you need to reprioritize your weekly schedule perhaps to connect in with a connect group? Is that what you need to dial up? in order for your fruit to be healthy. Maybe you need to invest in, in some time and into like a spiritual mentor. Or maybe you need to seek out a younger person in our community to mentor. I wonder what it is for you. Maybe you've never considered yourself 
a disciple of Jesus. And maybe today is that day that you make that decision, that I am going to devote myself to the rabbi Jesus and to take on his yoke for my life. And if that's you in the room, we, we will have people down the front after the service. We'd love to chat to you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to give you some next steps. If you're online this morning, there's an opportunity. You can press the button that says, I give my life to Jesus. You can um, press that. You can open up a private prayer with one of our hosts online and they can do the same. They can pray with you. They can give you some next steps. Maybe that's you today. But Jesus comes to each of us wherever we're at this morning. And he says, come, follow me. You are good enough for me. You have what it takes. Abide in me. Let me abide. Let me dwell in you, in your life. Spend more time with me. Learn how to be like me. Take on my yoke, which is easy and light. Learn to be a reflection of me. Grow and bear fruit like a healthy branch on my vine and not like a dodgy nectarine tree on Ben's back fence. <laughs> Spread this amazing news with others and make more disciples. Jesus comes to each and every one of us this morning, no matter where we're at, and he says these things and it's up to us as to how we're going to respond. As we close this morning, this is my hope. This is my prayer for us. May we choose to actively follow Jesus, to be committed to continual growth, to be dependent on the Holy Spirit, to be disciple makers. May we live as an expression of what we believe, that God uniquely created each of us to be in relationship with Him. And... May each of us drop everything that we're doing and devote our lives to reflecting our Rabbi Jesus.